Continuing with the sermons by Christopher Love on the zealous Christian, the text is, I say unto you, Luke chapter 11, verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Starting halfway through the sixth sermon where we left off, There is another considerable doctrine yet behind, taken from the amplification of the concession. He asked but three loaves. But because of his importunity, he gave him as many as he needed. The observation thence is this, that when the heart is importunate in begging mercy, God usually gives us more than we pray for. In the handling of this doctrine, I shall first prove it by Scripture instances, And second, I shall lay down the reasons of it. Third, I shall answer some objections and cases of conscience, and so I shall come to application. First, I shall prove it by Scripture instances. You have the instance of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. She begged a son, which with much importunity, being a woman of sorrowful spirit for want of a son. Well, God returns her an answer. Sheminitis observes that Hannah asked a son and God gave her a prophet. She begged a son and God gave her a gracious son, a son greatly beloved of God. She asked a single mercy and God gave her a double blessing. Another instance you have in in Abraham, Genesis 17, Abraham prayed, Oh, that Ishmael might live in thy sight. Well, what answer doth God return? That you have in verse 19, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. It was Abraham's desire that Ishmael might live. Now God not only grants that, but he grants him a better mercy. Another instance you have, in the Canaanitish woman, Matthew 15, who did importunately beg of Christ the life and health of her daughter. Christ answered her thus, Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. Now, if you ask, what is the reason why God deals thus with his people? I answer this first, this proceeds from the largeness and greatness of God's power and the riches and the freeness of his grace towards us. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. A man may ask of another man and it may be received, but then he must not ask again. But herein appears the power and ability, the goodness and bounty of God. If we ask of him once or twice, He is a God that is able to give, not according to our asking only, but above what we ask. And not only above what we can ask, but above what we can ask or think. The words are so full that they cannot be well expressed. God doth more than excessively. God hath not only a fullness of abundance, but of redundancy. Not only of plenty, but bounty. He is better than our prayers. Second, God will do this to relieve his people and to supply their spiritual wants. Among the wants of God's people, this is one that we do not know what we need nor what we should pray for as we ought. 
Romans 8:26. Therefore God supplies our wants not only in what we ask, but in what we want, though we do not ask it nor pray for it. So much for the reasons I come now to answer some objections. But some may say, what privilege hath a godly man more than a wicked man to have more to be given to him than he doth ask? Seeing we read of wicked men that they do prosper in the world and have more than their heart can wish. Psalm 73. I answer, first it is true in temporal mercies, God may give wicked men more than the godly and more than their heart can wish. But God doth not give them spiritual mercies. As we may see in Balaam, God gave Balaam honors and riches. But Balaam cried out, Oh, that I might die the death of the righteous. This God did not grant him. So many wicked men do say in a general way, Lord, pardon my sins. God doth not hear them. It may be a child of God may ask of God temporal mercies and God will give him spiritual mercies. This is more than he did ask and that much better than he gives to wicked men. Though God doth give unto wicked men more than their hearts can wish, yet God doth not give it as any return of prayer, but only as fruits of general and common providence, as they are his creatures whom he will preserve. Third, God may give wicked men more than their hearts can wish, and this is not in mercy, but in wrath. They may receive mercies, but not as mercies, not in mercy. And there are four demonstrations when God hears a man in wrath. First, when he asks anything of God that is sinful in its own nature, as the denial of it is an act of mercy, so the grant of it is a fruit of God's anger. God doth many times give those things in his anger which he denies when he is well pleased. God will not hear his own people according to their wills, but according to his own will. It is in this case, as it is with a father, when his child, for want of knowledge, asks a knife of him by which he may cut his fingers. The father will not give him the knife, except it be in wrath. So a man may ask mercies at the hand of God, and it may be God will give them in wrath to cut themselves with them. And second, if you ask those things of God which though they are not sinful in their own nature, yet if thy asking of these, of these lawful things be to an unlawful end, God will deny these in mercy. And when he gives them, it is in wrath. As if thou desirest temporal mercies to abuse them to drunkenness or to live in any other sin and wickedness. If God give thee those mercies, is as a testimony of his wrath to thee. So it was in the 78th Psalm, verse 18, they tempted God in their hearts and asked meat for their lust. There was the end of their desires. They desired a lawful thing for unlawful ends. But what followed? The wrath of God. For while the meat was in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them. Verse 30 and 31. Third, if you ask anything of God and he gives it in wrath, you may know by this, <clears throat> if it be an occasion of sin to thee, it is given, in, given thee in wrath. 
So it was with the Israelites even now mentioned. The meat that God gave them proved an occasion of sin. Verse 32, they sinned still and believed not his wondrous works. When the mercies you enjoy becomes fuel to your lusts, those mercies are accompanied with the curse and wrath of God. And this using of mercies will turn to the aggravation of wrath. Fourth, mercies are given thee in wrath when the enjoyment of them hinders thee from the receipt of greater mercies from God. Thus it is with the devils, Matthew 8, 31 and 32. They besought Christ that they might go into the herd of swine. Christ granted them that. He let them enter into swine that they might not enter into men. When the giving of temporal mercies hinders thee from the receipt of spiritual mercies, they are given in wrath. There are many men to whom God gives temporal mercies. They have riches in abundance, pleasure at will, everything they can desire. But these mercies take off their thoughts and affections from better things. By getting these, they lose Christ and grace, immortality, and eternal happiness. Now, in these cases, though God doth give mercies, yet they are given in wrath. And so, notwithstanding this objection... The privilege of God's people is much greater than the privilege of wicked men. But it may be further objected and inquired, if this be so, that mercies are given to wicked men in wrath and by a common providence, how may I know when mercies come to me as returns of prayer? Now I shall answer that in these particulars. First, mercies are returns of prayer when the receiving of mercy is a means to quicken the heart to beg for other mercies at the hands of God. When the mercy shall make thee more to love prayer, more to use prayer, this you find proved by David's experience in Psalm 116 too. Because he hath heard my voice, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. You see here, because God had heard David's prayer, and had given him the mercy he begged, he makes an argument and an engagement to himself to pray as long as he lived. So that to continue prayer is a means to get more mercy. And the leaving off of prayer, when you have a mercy, is a means to lose that which you have obtained at the hands of God. But as for the wicked, it is not so with them. Mercies received only from a common or general providence have no such efficacy as you may see in Job 21, 7 and 8. There Job tells you the wicked live, become old, yea, mighty in power. Their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. And so he goes on describing that happy condition that wicked men were in and how God followed them with mercy after mercy. Well, what was the effect of this? Did this engage them to call upon God? Did this make them in love with prayer? No, it had quite a contrary effect. Verse 14, Therefore say they unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. And in verse 15, What is the Almighty that we should serve him and what profit should we have if we pray unto him? 
Second, mercies that are given as returns of prayer do not only make a man consider that they are from God, but draws the heart to God and put a man upon employing them in the service and to the honor of God. Thus we find to be the temper of Hannah. 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28. Hannah had prayed for a child. God gave her a son. Now what does she what doth she with this mercy? Observe, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath granted my petition. Therefore have I lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth. Seeing God hath heard my prayer and granted my request, therefore will I give this mercy to God to be employed in his service. So first John three twenty two and whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see, it is made an evidence that what we receive is received as an answer to our askings because we make those mercies helps to obedience, to keep God's commandments. But now, mercies that come from a common providence do not draw out the heart towards God. They rather draw them out towards sin as it was in the aforementioned Israelites in Psalm 78. Though God did give them their heart's desire, yet were they not estranged from their lust. Third, mercies come from God as returns of prayer where they make you more to rejoice in the God that hears your prayers and gives you the mercy than in the mercy you receive from God. Thus you find it was in Hannah she asked a son and God gave her a son. Yet she saith, 1 Samuel 2, 1, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. God gave her a son. She rejoiced in that mercy, but she rejoiced more in the God that gave it. So it was with David in Psalm 85, 6, Thou wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. We will not rejoice chiefly in the mercy, but in thee. But on the contrary, those that receive mercies out of the basket of common providence, they rejoice more in the mercy than in the God of mercy. They rejoice in their wealth and glory and the multitude of their riches. But as for God, they bid him depart from them. They cannot rejoice in God. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, 
Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.